so stupid, he comes across in front of me every single time he ever takes. Where does he want me to go off the track? No! Stop talking to me in the braking zone! Better things aren't possible. Welcome to the Formula One Season Preview Edition of Motorsport 101. As you can tell, the beacon of optimism is shining through this podcast right now. Other intros are a little bit acceptable. It also would include guaranteed not to be contaminated by COVID-19. Maybe. It's episode 234 of Motorsport 101, (laughs) and it is a big one. It is our Formula 1 season preview, ladies (coughs) and gentlemen. As you can tell, the cam's got guns going great with his cough in the background. Like, I, honestly, we, we none of us have the cold yet. We promise. Um, maybe. Anyway, with me, Andre Harrison, your friendly neighbour host as always, is Mr. Ryan King. Hello, sir. Ah, oh, hello. Glad, glad to be coming to you live from New York City. You mean you've not been thrown out of Madison Square Garden yet? Honest oh, no. question, King. Honest question. Now that Mike Bloomberg has dropped out of the presidential primary on the day of recording, do you think he should buy the Knicks off James Dolan? Uh, can't get worse. Can't get worse. <laughs> I, I still love that King's coming to us after after Dolan removed the one positive thing left about the New York Knicks. Like that, that's that's literally the best thing you guys have going for you. Was a loyal, dedicated passionate celebrity supporter and now he's banned too god that that franchise is a dumpster fire well yeah he he didn't get banned exactly but after what had happened not coming back for the rest of the season way to go guys way to go (laughs) with me again mr rj o'connell hello sir hello and uh to everybody that was worried uh i'm fine thankfully where i record is about 100 miles southeast of east nashville that got a Got rocked by an F three tornado while everybody was asleep. I do find it. Uh, I do find it very sad, but not surprising in this hellscape to which we live in. Uh, that a hockey team was more hospitable to those displaced by tornadoes, natural disasters, than you know people who run actual mega churches. Just a thought. <laughs> very much a thought. And with me, a girl this time as well is Cam Buckley. Hello, sir. Hello, everyone. Um, everything's getting canceled, guys. I don't know what to do. Even we're canceled. Guys, we're canceled now. <laughs> <laughs> okay, who said something offensive on Twitter? Mm. It, it wasn't me. Oh. Honest. Look, when you just, when you have a heated racer moment. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> RJ, what did you do? <sighs> Look, when you n- when you no longer go for the gap that exists, you're no longer playing Fortnite. Oh no! Isn't what what that one guy said a while back when he said that like losing isn't good? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it could be worse. Could be Jim Utter's mentions right now. Mm. Yeesh, yeah. God, let's, let's not go into that. Um, but in this episode of Motorsport 101, this time around, it's going to be a big one. We have a lot to catch up with, including uh, a, a nasty coronavirus update and a whole heap of uh, postponement, shall we say. All the news that isn't related to that, Hinchcliffe on TV, 
a big, big clangor of a, a Formula One group statement that we didn't actually miss on recording day for once. Hooray! Ooh. Hooray! Jimmy Johnson, IndyCar rookie? Um, and Australia, Team Sydney Motorsport labelled a national embarrassment. More on that later. We'll also be catching up with Formula E in Marrakesh. It was a barnstorm in Marrakesh, shall we, shall we say. Um, and... Yeah, I have to borrow that one from Hazel. I deeply apologise. Um, and if we also talk about World Superbikes and their season opener in Phillip Island, where all three races were covered by a combined 0.111 of a second. And amazingly, Jonathan Ray only won one of them. Oh, God. <laughs> Funny that one, isn't it? More on that later. And after that, we'll be getting into the main event of the evening, our big Formula 1 season preview. In other words, shit, we've got to tolerate one more year of this before the new rules come into play. Hooray! As you can tell, we're really optimistic about all of this. It's going to be the hardest season possible. Yes, for my patience levels. Um... (laughs) More on that later, but places you can find this real quick. We're on YouTube.com forward slash Motorsport 101, Facebook.com forward slash Motorsport 101. We're on Twitter at Motorsport underscore 101. And if you'd like to follow our personal handles, you can at Harrison 101 HD, um, at Ryan Eric King, at RJ O'Connell, and at CBuckley 917. You can join us all on there and follow us personally. Um, and if you really, really like us, you can back us financially on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash motorsport 101 five dollars gets you early access to all of our shows ten dollars gets you into the supporters club of our discord server where you can listen to these episodes live as they're being recorded massive audience in here tonight as always thanks everyone who's joining us as always and you can find all of those details and more on our website motorsport101.com where i put a new piece up there in the blog section last week where i already rant about all the enthusiasm being sucked out of me while mentioning a guy, I talked to like while mentioning other little stories like how I talked a guy out of putting a one thousand pound bet on Lewis Hamilton to win the title. No, seriously, I did. Don't ask me why. Um, and and how a Das is quickly going to become the poster boy for a hot mess of a Formula One preseason. Read all of that and much more on the website. As always, there's also a big update on there in the MotoGP silly season section um, regarding um, Mark Marquez and his massive contract extension. More on that as the season goes. Massive. On. Contract extension. Oh boy, nine figures apparently. Oh, uh, price. <laughs> yeah. So uh, more, all of that, and more on the website motorsport101.com. After this quick musical interlude, we'll be back to talk about. Achoo! Oh no, it's COVID nineteen. <coughs> <coughs> Even despite Cam's coughing, I don't think you can catch the show via listening to the podcast. So, <laughs> oh, no. um, at, le- at least I hope not. Anyway, and, that- and that's the case, we might be like single-handedly responsible for the outbreak in Italy. <laughs> but uh, sadly, COVID nineteen has continued to spread, and uh, as a result, it's led to yet more postponements in the world of motorsport. Um, there, obviously, there's, there's always a knock-on effect on these things. Uh, we found out a a few days ago, well, 
Let's, let's just say I don't envy our former colleague, Mr. Lewis Sotheby, who was working from home when he got the clangor that uh, Qatar's MotoGP race is now cancelled and it will not be rescheduled. Um, that was the first piece of news that dropped. I want to say it was around last weekend. It was on Sunday, I believe. Yep, last Sunday. Yep, yeah. yep. And where it was, it, like, for those guys asking, yes, they are still going to race a Moto2 and Moto3 race. Reason being, simply put, they're already in the country because they were there for their final test before their season gets started this weekend. So they were already in the country. In between that time, the nation of Qatar put up a 14-day quarantine for anyone entering the country from Italy. And obviously, for those that are well clued in, that affects a very large amount of MotoGP's paddock, i.e. Ducati, Aprilia, Pramac, etc. So, yeah, with that on the table, MotoGP essentially had no choice but to cancel its premiere um, class round. Um, it's it's kind of funny as well. They've actually slid the calendar along a little bit in the sense where now Moto2 is going to be in the main event slot where MotoGP would be if there was going to have a race there this weekend. So we're going to get the first totally night race Moto2 round in Qatar, everybody. I'm, Yay. I'm hype. If you have video pass, if you have video pass this season, I highly encourage you to tune into those races. Especially Moto3, which is bound to be absolutely carnage on a track this big and wide. Oh yeah, watch um, that. Watch that. Yeah, that is well... That alone is worth the price of admission. Um, so yeah, absolutely uh, check that out if you haven't already. Obviously, real shame that uh, the season um, was, was not going to be starting where it is. Oh wait. Another round got postponed. Thailand's off the table for now as well. Um, we found that out a couple of days later. I want to say Monday on that one. But so yeah, it turns out Thailand's entire weekend has been postponed. Again, similar reasons. They're not keen on, on obviously, anyone coming in from Italy um, anytime soon, given they've had a massive 1,500-plus case outbreak um, in the last week or so. So again, Thailand's been postponed. There is talk of a potential reshuffle later in the calendar. They might try and cram it in around Aragon sort of time um, before the flyaways start. Um, there is, so there's still a chance Thailand could be back in its original slot, which is near the end of the season as compared to what it was going to be this year, which was round two. So as it stands, the MotoGP season will start now on April the 5th at the Circuit of the Americas. Fingers crossed. Um, yeah. I mean, looking at it from a purely motorsport analytical standpoint, great news if you're number 93. Um, yeah, yeah um, Marquez gets another month to rehab his shoulder, and Honda gets another month to try and work out the hybrid bike being the 2020 bike with the 2019 arrow. And his drop round's effectively gone. Yeah, he starts out at a place where he has never legitimately lost. Yeah, never lost under his own volition, certainly, apart from last year and the engine braking failure he suffered. So, Mark Marquez has got another month to recover. Honda's got another month to get their shit together. And if you're Yamaha, who looked nailed on to win the opening round via some combination of Maverick Vinales or Fabio Quattararo, that's an early kick in the teeth. Um, or a surfer racer put... Oh, well, there goes one of Dobby's two token wins for the year. Um, <laughs> oh, dear. Sorry, King. So, it was a bold pick. I appreciate the gusto. 
That's yeah. why I'm carrying that spirit into our predictions at the end. F. A, a, a brave call. Um, sadly, as a result of that, and as well, again, Qatar's quarantine, it also means World Superbikes will not be racing in Qatar next weekend. That was meant to be round two. Um, again, recent recent travels to Australia is part of their watch list. Um, so they, they can't fly into Doha from Phillip Island. So that's a big problem. So World Superbikes has, has postponed the Qatar round. Again, no guarantees, but they could, again, try to get it in later in the season. Maybe back in the old slot at the season finale spot. Who knows? We'll have to wait and see. Again, if there's any updates on that, we'll let you know in future episodes. But no World Superbikes at Qatar either, which is a real shame. Um, RJ, I'm sure you can tell us more about the Super Formula situation. Yeah, there. the season opening round that was originally set for April 5th at Suzuka Circuit, like pretty much everything motorsport related in Japan, including a behind-closed-doors test for the Super GT Series at Okayama in two weeks' time. Uh, yes, the Suzuka opener for Super Formula has been postponed. The season is set to kick off April 19th at Fuji Speedway. Um, my guess, and this has not been confirmed, is that they might try and jam, uh, the Suzuka round into a two-race doubleheader, which would be probably the most viable option, Hmm. because there's not really anywhere else that you can fit this round. Yeah, unfortunately, um, the drivers and super formulas often have a whole lot of other commitments and other series across the year. You're, you're gonna have to make sure it doesn't clash with series like WEC. Super GT, some international GT rounds. The Japanese Grand Prix, they try not to schedule it around that event. Um, Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, and we might have another Formula One round being postponed. Vietnam's the next big one at risk, and that's, what was that sent to be, that was set to be round three, wasn't it? Um, Mm. um, That's looking like it could be in some trouble, because again, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure Vietnam has had is, is, is just just put in the same 14-day quarantine rule that Qatar has, and I believe Australia is one of the countries that's on that list. And, and as as far as we know, at time of recording, the Aussie Grand Prix is still going ahead, so that could be a problem. Yeah, F one F one's trying to work with some of the governments to try and get an expedited quarantine procedure in place. Like they have in Bahrain, which is yeah. why Bahrain's going to happen. Yeah, Vietnam's trying to work out something similar. Yeah, Bahrain may be a behind-closed-doors event, um, but they're going to try and have this race one way or another. Mm-hmm. Indeed, the MotoGP racing, or the Moto2 and 3 races in Qatar this weekend are going to be behind-closed-doors. I mean, it's not a massive difference because there's only about... They only get an attendance of about six to 8,000 anyway, so it's really, like... you, you Trust me, when you watch this weekend, you won't notice the difference. Yes. Um, and that goes along but, with uh, the news that... Um, Ross Braun threw down the gauntlet. He said, if any teams cannot make it due to travel restrictions, the race will not go ahead. Oh, yeah. That's 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 pretty big. Um, fortunately, there are no other developments in Formula 1 that would cause one or any number of teams to potentially debate the idea of maybe skipping some rounds. Right? Right? Uh, so about well, that settlement... Seven Formula One constructors, a.k.a. everyone without a Ferrari engine in the back, have unified against the FIA over the FIA-Ferrari settlement over the 2019 Ferrari power unit. My subs have unionized. Yes, so basically, 
what for those guys that haven't been seen the news lately in Formula One, turns out last week the FIA announced publicly that they that themselves and Ferrari had come to a settlement over an investigation into Ferrari's 2019 power unit. That was literally about as far as the statement went, unfortunately. I wish I could tell you more, but that was yeah. basically it. Yeah, we didn't get yeah. much in terms of details. We don't know what happened in terms of the financials of the settlement. All we know is that Ferrari was going to... <coughs> I believe this is out of Ferrari's pocket. They were going to have to help the FIA create better monitoring systems for the power units, and they would have to assist the FIA on developing lower carbon fuels. Right. Now, fast forward to this morning, 10 a.m. this morning, to be precise. All of a sudden, anyone that's working for the journos um, just got about seven press releases in a 15-minute span. Reason being, it was it was a joint statement released on behalf of seven Formula One teams this morning. You could the tell statement- it was a statement because all of the teams' headlines said an official statement from blank. Yeah, they were all more or less a copy and paste of the same statement with different team names. Right, and the statement read as following. <clears throat> we, the undersigned teams, were surprised and shocked by the FIA's statement of Friday the 28th of February regarding the conclusion of its investigation into the Scuderia Ferrari Formula 1 power unit. An international sporting regulator has the responsibility to act with the highest standards of governance, integrity, and transparency. After months of investigations that were undertaken by the FIA only following queries raised by other teams, we strongly object to the FIA reaching a confidential settlement agreement with Ferrari to conclude this matter. Therefore, we hereby state publicly our shared commitment to pursue full and proper discourse in this matter to ensure that our sport treats all competitors fairly and equally. We do so on behalf of the fans, the participants, and the stakeholders of Formula One. In addition, and this might be the important last line, we reserve our rights to seek legal redress within the FIA's due process and before the competent courts. Signed, but they can't go to Judge Judy because she's retiring at the end of this. <laughs> I know, got it. I'd love to see that. Judge Judy can settle all this shit. Signed, McLaren Racing, Mercedes Benz, Racing Point, Red Bull, Renault, AlphaTauri, and Williams. As Cam mentioned, every team in the panic not powered by Ferrari as of right now. Lads, this is big. Um, like. We, we support a sport where no one can agree on anything, and just like that, 70% of the paddock has come together to say, we're tired of the FIA shit, basically. Mm. Um, where do we even start on this one? And that's the, and that's the annoying thing. There isn't an awful lot we can really say yeah, about we, this. We can, because only, it's- we can only really infer from all the rumors that have been going on for the last year about Ferrari's engine. Hmm. There's always been rumblings beneath the surface about Ferrari's power unit. I mean, we looked at it... I remember back in November when Max Verstappen said, look what happens when they're not cheating anymore. We kind of just brushed it off as another petty Verstappen joke. It There may have been more truth to that than we realised at the time. But no one really knows because we don't know what this settlement look. between the FIA and Ferrari was. We don't know what Ferrari was or was not doing. We don't know if what they were doing was legal or illegal. 
We don't even know if it's still on this year's car. We you just don't, don't fucking know. It's all just, we settled it outside of an official court or whatever. So we're only, we can only guess here. And that's the most infuriating part as the pseudo journalists we pretend to be on this show. We can only guess what this situation is. A couple of guys have sent in theories, you know, investigations into their power unit. I mean, we generally came to a consensus last week talking about this, that it looks like it might have been, it, it seems to us that Ferrari might have had something possibly illegal but the FIA probably might not have been able to prove that it was illegal what what I was thinking and this has been you know there's been a lot of uh armchair journalism but a lot of the quote-unquote technical experts that are uh that are involved in F1 have said Ferrari probably has something very gray area very laughing in the spirit of the rules and I go back to my quote from last week that used in your blog Mm. Doing something that meets the letter of the rules while laughing in the face of the spirit is what F1 is all about. Oh, God, yeah. (laughs) Ferrari, it looks like, has forced the FIA to reconsider how they're monitoring the power units. And that makes Mm. sense when you read the statement, when you read the settlement. But what it looks like is that Ferrari had something very gray area, not strictly speaking illegal, but... We don't know if it's still on the car. We don't know if it's still technically allowed. Yeah, and look what good we it's just done know. them. They couldn't sustain that run after winning Belgium, Italy, and Singapore because of all that infighting. What good that did them? Well, yeah, and the car being a fucking dog that could only go in a straight line. Indeed, and that's part of the problem. If Ferrari has got every right to protect this to protect this intellectual property, if they think that there's a possibility that an FIA investigation could leak it out to the public and then be copied by its rivals, from Ferrari's position, of course they're going to protect what they believe is theirs, especially if they think it may or may not be legal or not. If Ferrari, if the FIA can't prove the engine's illegality with their current measurement systems, or without having to take Ferrari to court over the over IP as long as it's not the fuel flow thing that Red Bull you know everyone latched onto it people are only supporting it because that's what Mercedes and Red Bull think it is mm. unless it's that it is a loophole and Ferrari can exploit it yeah. just like the and dual like, axis steering yeah and it, and the FIA can't stop any other team from doing it and i think a lot of that is what this joint statement is about if it's not strictly speaking illegal, we want to know exactly what it is, how we can do it, and why you haven't been able to police it before now. It's not an un- it's, it's not an unfair statement from the other seven teams in question. Um, I suspect the FIA's biggest mistake <coughs> was releasing this statement to the public in the first place. That's the thing. Because- people people believe that Ferra- they're trying to protect Ferrari by not attacking them because everyone's latching on to the idea that, okay, the engine was slam dunk illegal, but the FIA is protecting them. If the FIA was protecting them, they would have kept this completely behind doors. Yep. Right. And that's just it. They didn't. So something is not quite right about this. And yeah, Peter Windsor had a great theory about this one. And he said, and I quote, my reaction, the sports rules have been reaching confidential agreements with Ferrari for the past 40 years. Brackets for the benefit of F1. The mistake this time round was for them to publicly admit it. This would not have happened in the days of Bernie and Max. But like the thing is that we've already had a situation 
like this already this season. The only difference is we could see the device under question. Like, Mercedes mm. pretty much did the exact same thing. Yeah, they the difference did. is is that they were telling the FIA about it the whole time. The FIA didn't close the loophole. Well, they did. Only, well, for next year. Which they did last October. Which they did last October, which just, the FIA is a mess. But this is in retrospect. That's the difference here. Mercedes hasn't used it yet. Ferrari already has. Yeah, because allegedly the only reason why the FIA found out about it was a whistleblower from within Ferrari. Yes, which then, you know, if they're only finding out information about confidential IP via a backdoor, that makes it increasingly more difficult for the FIA to go after Ferrari over it. One bang Indeed. of the trash can equals full rich. No bang, run it in late <laughs> mode. <laughs> and let's just say that whistleblower is now probably sharing their bed at night with a horse's head. Um, this is, this so... is a very ugly look into the backdoor legality side of the sport. Y'all thought this season was going to be boring. On the contrary, <laughs> I think it's getting pretty spicy and we haven't even turned a wheel yet. Drive to Survive not- Season 3 is already looking good. Oh, God. Season 2, now available on Netflix. Oh, boy. I'll be watching that soon. Stay tuned for possible reviews on the website on that, by the way. But, yeah, again, if anything comes up with this for our situation, we'll keep you posted on future shows. But for now, annoyingly, we can only guess. And that's probably the most frustrating part on this, especially if you're a team principal of a team that's not powered by a Ferrari power unit. Good luck with that. I think it's more frustrating if you are power by Ferrari. Like, you know who does not need to be dragged in all this mess? Haas. Haas, whose position within the sport is under threat. Gene already coming out saying that the the few the first few races of the season are going to decide whether they stick around beyond the end of the season. I think we should save that for the season preview. <laughs> More on that in about an hour's time. Okay, so is the rest of the news that isn't virus related. Hooray! Um, first of all, we got a new pundit in the NBC booth for ten races next season. It's a fu- we finally have a Canadian color commentator. With race-winning experience in an NBC <laughs> Sports paddock. <laughs> oh, really? Who's yeah. that? James Hinchcliffe. It's your boy, Dre. The bear is back in a paddock. In a commentary box, too. It's going to be great. Look, the man's been doing Kimi Riker and impersonations and commentating on Champ Car since he was still a teenager. Like, he is going to be excellent at this. I have no doubt about it. I want him I want him alongside Katie Hargett in the pit lane doing Roman reporting. That would be hilarious. Come on, who wouldn't want to see that? We saw Connor Daly do it a couple of years ago and it was awesome. <laughs> Who's yeah. down? I'm down for it. Apparently, it's not just going to be IndyCar that will be commentating on two. You know, they'll get him in for, like, I've heard they'll be commentating NASCAR events, if I heard that right. Yes, they already confirmed him for the Brickyard 400. Oh, wow. That should be fun. That'll oh, be my the God. Most notable thing about that fucking race. Get him on the <laughs> Olympic coverage. Just have Dale oh, Earnhardt no. Jr. and James Hinchcliffe call an Olympic track and field. <laughs> it, would be, it, would, it would be the most wholesome, like, non, like, non-sports commentary ever. Oh, that'd be awesome. Speaking of potential NASCAR guys possibly jumping out somewhere else, we saw a picture on Jimmy Johnson's, Inst- um, Jimmy Johnson's Twitter earlier today. The seven-time NASCAR champion um, was in 
the, a seat, a seat in a car at, <laughs> at, at Schmidt Peterson Arrow McLaren. He later revealed he's going to be testing for them at Barber in April. Boom Ooh. confetti. Boom. Boom mm. confetti. Is Jimmy Johnson going to be doing an IndyCar race at some point in this season? Maybe not this season, yeah. but with him stepping away from full-time competition at the end of this season, mm-hmm. um, that'll free up his calendar. The only problem is, you know, you're looking at someone who will be about 45 or 46 by the time he starts preparing for some races in 2021. Yeah, NASCAR season this year kind of prevents him from doing any race, I believe, except for uh, Iowa. I don't think there'll be a clash, mm. but um, probably next season. I mean, I'd love to see it. I mean, he's pretty much done everything that he there is to do in NASCAR. Um, casual seven-time champion. Casual seven-time champion. Broke the chase for the cup format. Broke the playoff format. You couple know. Daytona 500s. Couple Daytona uh, 500s. He, he's done pretty well for himself. Yeah. Yeah. Anything there is to be done, he's done it in NASCAR. Yeah. So, J- Jimmy could be in the IndyCar very soon. Keep an eye on it. Should be awesome. Right. Mm. Next up. <laughs> oh, boy. We got a lot of requests from uh, from dedicated patron of the show, James Calances, to talk about this. <laughs> okay. Uh, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna throw this over to King. Um, is it good when your former sponsor calls you a national embarrassment? Uh, no, no. Those are words that I normally re- reserve for James Dolan, owner of the New York. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Well, as, as a matter of fact, these are the words of the founder of Boost Mobile, Peter Adderton, uh, who just lashed out at it at Supercars team Team Sydney. Uh, on his Instagram, saying, quote, Honestly, when is the championship going to stop the charade? This team is ill-prepared, underfunded, and frankly, Team Sydney is a national embarrassment to the sport. Oh, goodness. But this requires some context. So, Team Sydney has isn't entirely new. This is a team that was known as Techno Autosports. And if that name sounds familiar, that is the team that Shane Van Gisbergen drove for before he came to Red Bull Racing Australia. When Van Gisbergen left, the team's form kind of really, truly fell into the floor, and they had to rebrand itself as Team Sydney. And not just that, but not just the rebrand from team owner Jonathan Webb, but they got secured funding from the Supercars Championship itself to get on the grid with a two-car effort with big-name sponsorships in Coca-Cola and Boost Mobile and a lead driver in James Courtney, who, former Jaguar F1 test driver, whose aspirations got derailed by a horrible testing accident in 2002, went on to become a Supercars champion and a 15-time race winner. Um, he was displaced from a ride, and it looked like it, he wouldn't come back, but he made what is understood to be a big commitment that had to be honored for him to stick around for the whole season. Fast forward to the first round of the season, the Adelaide 500. Um, both of Team Sydney's cars have a pretty mediocre to terrible weekend. James Courtney and Boost Mobile quit after one race weekend. 
with hmm. Courtney saying that the team had not honored a big commitment and that if it wasn't for the fact that Courtney and team owner Jonathan Webb were such good friends, he would have bailed out sooner. Yikes. That's not good. Yeah. You know what else isn't good? When you have a racing entitlement contract, much like a NASCAR charter, and you're fined tens of thousands of Australian dollars for not showing up to races you are obligated to attend, though the team has no driver and no title sponsor. They're very lucky that their other driver, Chris Pither, and his sponsor, Coca-Cola, are sticking around, but now they got to figure out that second car situation in a hurry. Because the next race is at Albert Park, supporting the Australian Grand Prix, we think. Oh. So in other words, you're saying that a Coke for it isn't enough in this case? No. No, apparently not. They got a big boost, but now they no hey. longer have that boost. Should also uh. point out for our avid Supercars fans, yes, this is the same boost mobile who pulled out of Gary Rogers Motorsport and consigned that team to its extinction at the end of the season. It's all one big mess. Australia, you're okay. <laughs> no, they're, they're, they're struggling right now. Their, their teams are struggling. Their cricket team is taking L's left, right, and center. Their star player on the women's team. Oh, sorry, we're talking about motorsport. My bad. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, <clears throat> but um, <laughs> it's uh, it's not pretty over there for them, and that is uh, that is an ugly situation. Um they need to they need to find a backup driver with sponsorship ideally and fast basically. The whole Boost Mobile and Courtney deal came together with like a week before the Adelaide 500, and then they pulled out just as quickly as they came in. And all of this got overshadowed with Holden being consigned to extinction on the week before the race. First of all, phrasing. Second of all, not great. <laughs> Oh dear, oh dear. That is a mess. I'm sure James will keep us uh, posted on the chat on that one with any further updates. But uh, I, I, I love that like, ever since we came back for the 2020 season, we've reviewed nothing but news-based hot messes in motorsport pretty much from the top of the year. <laughs> yeah, it's, like, it's, it's getting to where we have a queue of them. Like we were withholding the story about Norton Superpipes. Oh yeah, we're building up for that one. Um, yeah, well, yeah, out of nowhere. Just Nor Norton Norton motorcycles just fucking died. Yeah, completely died on its arse. Went into administration. Brexit was blamed when, in actuality, if you interview people in the know, that its demise was long a long long time in the making. We'll talk about that more once all the details hit the shelf. There's some some details have already drip, dripped out, but I would rather. We do the story in a full justice and wait for more of these interviews from inside Norton to go public. Stay Doing, tuned for that. Giving one. it the full justice like the full English. Oh, yes. Like the full English breakfast, which apparently is now even better thanks to Brexit. Hooray! <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Y'all are getting mad that you're naming, like, you're, have, you're giving out Spanish names to tropical storms? Look, if there's one thing you'll learn about being British, RJ, is that we are exceptionally petty when it comes to everything. Because uh, the word British values now basically just means anything that isn't named British is here, is thereby a problem. But apparently the breakfast is untouchable. <laughs> Good God. Oh dear. Um, let's move on what, swiftly. When is, when is anyone going to let the English know that like tomatoes are from the New World? <laughs> 
I, w- I still want to listen to bass by the time we get to next week's show. Okay. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's a hot mess. More on that in future episodes and more and all that good stuff. everybody Marrakesh for the Marrakesh E Prix you got and, uh, Marrakesh the fever oh man <laughs> oh, that's, a, that, that's a throwback to last season's episode title oh, no man. no uh should, should we open up with hey free practice wasn't on race day like normally is it was no, on it Friday wasn't. and one notable driver was missing who would that be it was the back-to-back driver's champion, Jean-Eric Ver. Jeff, 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 Jeff. So, initially it was reported Jeff was in, was hospitalized with a severe migraine. But, after the race weekend, Jeff revealed that he had a 40 degree Celsius fever. Yikes. <laughs> that's a heavy-duty fever. That's, that's nasty. Uh. Trust me, if you've got a fever of 38, you'll be feeling it. Like, 40 sounds like you're burning up on the inside. I would not recommend hopping in a giant suit and racing a, a racing car in a very hot Morocco. N- would not recommend. Um, so, of course, he did later that weekend. Um, <laughs> because, of Blue course, game. he did. <laughs> yeah, as Vic points out in the Discord... If you're in the 40s, it's borderline life-threatening, Yeah, potentially. So that is a problem. Um, so, of course, again, Jeff came back later on in the weekend uh, because they're racing drivers, sod conventional logic. Um, so, Mama yeah, didn't raise no bitch. <laughs> <laughs> is, is there a French version of that phrase? Because apparently Jeff was exhibiting all of that. Um, but, uh, yeah, as, and hey, turns out... Um, as the weekend went on, uh, and RJ summed it up better than I could in our, in our set list, where it just goes, rumours of DSGT's demise are greatly exaggerated, <laughs> basically. Yeah. John Eric Verne had his version of the flu game, and Antonio Felix da Costa won with the third largest margin of victory in Formula E history, at 11.4 seconds. Yep, led from pretty much start to finish, from Super Pole. Um, where he down. beat Max Gunf- where he beat Max Gunther and Andre Lotterer by just under a tenth, and then laid the beat him down, resting his nuts on the entire field's heads throughout the entirety of the race itself. Um, King, like if if anybody thought Tichita was struggling, this is a nice way of shutting the haters up, eh? Yeah, because Jeff Jeff started pretty far down the eleventh eleventh. And he made his way up to second and was in a heated battle for the later part of the race against Max Gunther. Oh, that was good. That was very good. I'm seeing just... overtake attempts, dummy overtakes. It was good. <laughs> Can I just say, that, Mac, that Max Gunther, like, fake dummy move into the left-hander oh, on the penultimate lap was one of kiss. the best Formula E overtakes <laughs> I've ever seen. Chef's kiss. Fantastic. That was beautiful. <laughs> An early contender for the Scotty Award, if I, 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 I do say so myself. That was a work of art from Max Gunther. Hang that in the Louvre. Um, that was a 
That was a beauty. Um, but yes, De Costa rested his nuts on the table, beat the field by 11 seconds. Max Gunther and John Eric Verne went to war to round off the podium in second and third. Gunther winning that fight. Um, but yeah, a, a, a brilliant scrap um, in the midfield um, for the for the higher point scoring positions and uh, round off the podium in style. I mean, Bremi in fourth, uh, in, in just a couple of attempts behind as well. He had the best seat in the house for that one. Um, Adora Mortara rounded off the top five. Now, we have to talk a little bit about Mitch Evans. <laughs> he went from Mitch, bruh, from Mitch, bruh. It's like, it's like, hey, do you like the 2019 Italian Grand Prix qualifying session? If if so, we have the show for you. <laughs> I think Jaguar uh, planned this out deliberately so that he could film his own last to first challenge and put it up on YouTube. Yeah, turns out Mitch didn't cross the start line to begin his hot lap in qualifying until after time had already expired. He didn't get a lap in and had to start stone dead last on the back of the field in 24th. Not the first time Jaggy was been caught with their pants down in a qualifying session. Remember last year? <laughs> oh, oh Rome that was a fun weekend where they st- where we had the Jacobellis moments still one of my favorite moments in motorsport last year <laughs> oh dear oh, that was that was that was too funny but Mitch made up for it beautifully by going from the back of the field to finish in sixth place yeah that's uh that's a very good drive from somebody who was really starting to hit their stride in these four e cars and this was very important because with the costa taking the lead and we'll go over that in our driver's championship that win gives them the championship lead evan stays in second because uh alexander sims was the only retirement in the race the BMW curse continues. One car scores, the other doesn't. Curse you, Zoe! <laughs> <laughs> oh dear, very, very true. And uh, yeah, the BMW, like, a, a, a race with one DNF, and of course it's Alex Sims. Huh? I, that man is so unlucky. It, 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 it makes me very sad. Think about this. You remember what happened with BMW Andretti last year when DaCosta was with them? They took each mm-hmm. other out. This year, DaCosta closes the book on a dominant win, and Sims is the only guy that doesn't finish, and he loses more ground in the championship fight. Because, of course, like, did, did, did Alex Sims, like, sign some sort of pact with the devil when he, when he first joined Formulary? Looks like it. <laughs> looks like it, because it looks like, it looks like the Reaper has come to collect his debt relentlessly, particularly in Marrakesh, apparently, for some reason. Rest of the field real quick. Lucas Degrassi in 7th place. Andre Lotterer in 8th for Porsche. Oh my god, we fucking off. scored points. Oh. <laughs> it could have been so much more. You guys were looking so good for a podium. What happened? Uh, well, it, it was a battle of genre out on track, and Jev made pretty quick work of his former teammate. Yeah, the, the, the Porsche looks to be really, really fast in qualifying... Race pace isn't amazing. We'll work on it. Good game, everyone. Good game. <laughs> By the way, I know we don't give a lot of love to Brazilian Musk on this show, but that three <laughs> oh, wide him. over that three <laughs> wide double overtake, overtake. That double overtake with twenty five minutes left in the race. Pretty good. Pretty good. Big, Got a big hand dick to you, energy. An- another chef's kiss. Yes, beautiful stuff indeed. 
Ollie Rowland in ninth, and as I like to call him now, Salt Bay Sam Bird rounding off the points in tenth. If you haven't seen that picture on social media yet, go out of your way to see it on the Envision Twitter page. It's as funny and wholesome as you think, because we all like Sam Bird around here. Like, has anybody ever had a bad word to say about Sam Bird ever? <laughs> Not here. Nope. Nope. He's one of those dudes. Everybody <laughs> likes Sam Bird, so we like. We I shall now refer to him as People's Champion Sam Bird because we Bird like the names on this show. Bird up indeed. Nick the Freeze in eleventh. My God, that's a cooler from the Mercedes hype train early on. Someone, someone pull one out for yeah, King. Yeah, DeVries and his countryman Robin Kit friends were tapped tapped <laughs> with penalties. Uh, and I want to read the uh, the uh, the model it's headline from Robin Friends here as I'm getting that pulled up. Uh, quote, friends can't understand, quote, utter bullshit, unquote, Marrakesh penalty. <laughs> Which put him at the back of the grid. This was from qualifying. Yeah, he ended up finishing 12th. Nick DeVries got a drive through for, oh, for, for using too much energy on the regen. Oh, that old penalty. That's the oldest trick in the book, Nick. Year. Very it has, hasn't it? Yeah. Well, Y'all... Guys- the Mercedes hype train. Uh, somebody just dumped a bucket of, uh, well, not even ice water. I think they just like poured a whole glacier on it. Yeah, dry ice. Like literally, they put dry ice on the whole thing. It's like, lads, welcome to Formula E. I, I can this take that from hard. this. I can take that from this. <laughs> of the uh, at least it was at least it wasn't Merck's. <laughs> yeah. Robin Frins in 12th, Jerome D'Ambrosio 13th for Mahindra, uh, Court Jester Daniel Lapton 14th, the other Merck, Stoffel Van Dorn in 15th, James Collado 16th, Felipe Massa in 17th, Neil Yarny in 18th for Porsche. Cam, get your mans. Oh um, no, no, I don't want him. Get him out of this town. <laughs> get him out of this country. Take your man, tell, tell him to call Tyrone and to, and, and to collect his things. Um, Brendan Hartley in 19th out of the two Dragons, Nico Muller in 20th, Oliver Turvey. Turvey deserves better. 21st on the Nio team there. 22nd for Pascal Verlein, who did set the fastest lap of the race, but unfortunately, because he wasn't in the points, it does not count. More on that in a minute. Uh, Mark Wing Hart in 23rd place, and Alex Sims, as mentioned, the only man who failed to finish. Sad times indeed. Championship standings, and just like to point out real quick, I, I'm pretty sure the Costa got a clean sweep because he started from Super Bowl, had the fastest lap out of those in the top 10. I think it's 29 points, I want to say, for the week. For the uh, week itself. Does he get the point for fastest lap if he's the fastest in the top 10? No, it was it was Evans that got the, uh, the fastest lap. Ah, uh, yes, because he had 19. Yep, quite right. My maths was a bit out on that one. My apologies. Um, yep, so my maths was a bit out on that one. But championship standings as we go through Marrakesh. Anthony Vitz de Costa now leads the championship with 67 points. He has an 11-point lead on Mitch Evans, as RJ alluded to, in second. Alex Sims drops to third on 46. Two DNFs already this season. Sad face. Maxi Gunther in fourth on 44. Lucas Degrassi on 38. Um, beating Stoffel Van Dorn on countback. Adoran Mortara in seventh on 32. Jev on 31. Ollie Rowland on 30th. And People's Champion, Bird Up in with 29. 
in the team standings real quick. TST Cheetah now in in front of the team's title with 43 points for the weekend. That's a whooping. Uh, they have 98 ahead of BMW Andretti on 90. Jaguar third on 66. Edam's Nissan, Nissan boys in fourth on 57. They're a point ahead of Mercedes-Benz on 56, who has now not scored a point for the last two rounds. Like I said, dry ice in the cooler. Um, Audi Sport in sixth on 46. Envision on 39, Venturi on 34, Porsche on 25, Mahindra on 17, Geox Dragon with 2, and, and the Neo team still yet to get off the mark. Seriously, from what I saw of this, this Formula E race was great. So oh, it was fantastic. Uh, um, and it wasn't your usual bumper car bullshit either. It was genuinely a great race with a lot of skill on display, and one that is absolutely out of the way Go watch it, basically. I like Marrakesh. Can we keep coming back here? Yes, please. Seriously, please. It, 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 might, it might be the best track on the calendar. Seriously, I love okay. Marrakesh. It's I, awesome. I, I figured that nothing would ever replace Punta del Beste in my heart, but Marrakesh is doing just that. Um, mm. King, your woman's finished in the top. It finished ahead of several very good single-seater drivers in the rookie test. Including, including the king. Kyle Kirkwood. Oh, wow. Yeah, Kyle Kirkwood was at this test uh, for BMW Andretti. And Nick Cassidy set the fastest lap of everybody. Big dick Nick. <laughs> so, so, King, how happy were you to hear this news? Uh, I, was, I was fairly restrained. He was a half-mast. Anyway. <laughs> A bold move. Vandermark's going to go the long way round. Lowe's blocks him off. Drag race down to the line. Reading next third position. Razgatlioglu under pressure. Oh my goodness! Shall we talk about Phillip Island? Yes. yes Wink if you'll miss it. <laughs> yes. World Superbikes, ladies and gentlemen, had its season opener at Phillip Island. I love Philip Island so much. It never fails to deliver. No, it's we the just best need bike. to. We need to get rid of all the other races. We need to run motorcycle racing exclusively at this track for the rest of the year. Yeah, I will happily settle for twelve Philip Islands a year in World Superbikes. I would have zero uh, issues. Moto GP too. <laughs> Moto yeah. two. Moto Sod three. It. All of it. Sod it. Every round needs to be at Philip Island. Holy shit! These races were good. Oh my all God, three were absolute bangers. Um, oh yeah, like all three of these races were great. As I, as I alluded to in the intro of the show, the combined winning margin of all three rounds was point one 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 of a second. The first race uh, was won by seven thousandths of a second. One of the one of the, one of the closest finish. A free wide, like the podium was covered by 0.041. Michael Vandermark was a tenth off the win and was not on the podium. And by that three different bikes as well. Yeah. Three different manufacturers in the top flight. This was a. Philip Island, if you want to sum it up in a sentence, it was a brilliant strategical race. And that's the great thing about Philip Island as a track. It is very hard on tyres. And. It can sometimes drift into danger, yes, mm -hmm. but at the same time, 
it is also very much a game of tyre management and who has the most tyre left at the end of the race tends to be the one who wins. And, well, a bit of a toe certainly doesn't help, doesn't hurt either in that very long run-up to the chequered flag as well. And in race one, it was Toprak Razgatioglu who won on his Yamaha debut race um, by seven thousandths of a second over Alex Lowe's in, for Kawasaki in second and Scott Redd in third, just four hundredths behind in third. Michael Vandermark was one of the guys who I mentioned ran out of tyre on the final corner, lost momentum and was knocked off the podium right at the death. Mm. But I know what you're all thinking. Dre, where's Jonathan Ray in all of this? He, yeah, uh, he got an express vacation to the Shadow Realm, courtesy of Sykes. Yeah, first lap, he was uh, pegged at Lukey Heights by uh, Tom Sykes um, and was knocked off the road, Had to fell to the back of the field, um, tried to aggressively um, barge his way through. He actually had a bit of an incident where he almost took out Federico Caracasulo on the way back up the field, the uh, Super Sport, like, Sport runner-up from last year. Um but uh, Ray binned it of his own volition, um, which I think might be the first time that's happened since joining Kawasaki's World, World Superbike Team. Not only that. Five and a bit years ago. It's the first time he's ever not scored in the first race of a season. Ever! Yeah, it's the first time he's ever failed to score in the opening round. It's, it's, it is crazy. That never happens. And that immediately makes the championship at least 3% more interesting. Um, so Jonathan, one of three non-finishers, Savvy Forez and Takumi Takahashi, the other one. But uh, yeah, Michael Vandermark, fourth. Leon Haslam, fifth. Alvaro Bautista, sixth. And the, second, new the, Honda. the new Honda. The new Honda, Honda doesn't is, suck. The new <laughs> Honda's fine. It's not winning races just yet, but it's fine. That is already a market improvement on previous iterations. Yeah, yeah, you could add a, uh, another digit to their finishing positions last year. Yes, so, good shit. Huge improvement. Apparently the bike makes all of its power all at once at the top end. Might want to smooth that out. But, yeah, uh, yeah big it, it wouldn't help. Big improvement. And this was, uh, this was after Bautista had crashed in qualifying. Yeah. He did indeed, but he, he came back strong to finish in sixth. Leon Haslam um, carried the team um, in fifth place there. Just He was the best of the rest outside of that big group, leading group of four. Laurie Spaz had a good day. He was in seventh on the Tenkate Yamaha. Chaz Davis down in eighth, a bit of a disappointment for him when his uh, new teammate Scott Redding is challenging for wins already. More on that later. Tom Sykes in ninth. No real surprise he was struggling here. Again, the BMW still lacking top speed. But, but he led half the race. Yeah, he, it looked like he led 11 laps at the cost of all of his tire life. Yeah, he basically went for broke and he paid the penalty dearly in the second stage of the race. Um, but hey, nice to see Sykes up the order again. Uh, Mike, also he was on Super Pole as well. The first man, I believe, to 50 Super Poles in, in, in the class as well. So congrats to Tom Sykes on that one. Still the undefeated king of one lap <clears throat> one lap speed. Michael Ruben Rinaldi rounding off the top 10 ahead of Eugene Laverty, Federico Caracazzulo, Sandro Cortese, Garrett Gerloff in 14th, and Schlieb in 15th. So everybody that made the flag got points. Hooray! Hooray! One of those races. Uh, Super Pole race. Now, this was uh, a, a return win for Jonathan Ray. The Super Pole race was, again, even more chaotic. Like, 
1.8 seconds covering the top seven runners. It was a 10-lap race. Those guys that are new to the series, Super Bowl races, will determine the grid for race two. Um, and they are 10-lap sprint races, essentially. And uh, Jonathan <laughs> won with a heavy heart. It, it, it was uh, it was revealed in in um, afterwards on his Instagram page that on Sunday morning he got the very sad news that his grandmother had passed away after a long battle with cancer. So uh, our condolences to the Ray family indeed on that. So it's a very sad loss. But uh, Jonathan won um, of a brilliant final corner overtake on top rack, went underneath him on the final corner, held onto the line. It was it was classy Jonathan Ray as always. And of course, he dedicated the win to his late grandma. So again, uh, condolences to the family on that one. He beat top rack over the line, who beat Redding by another 5,000. Redding, who must already be getting really sick of finishing in third. Um, <laughs> uh, 0.072 off the win. How does it feel to be the bronze medal? (laughs) Repeatedly. Remember that, it becomes important later. Alex Lowe's was in fourth, Michael Vandermark fifth. Again, burned his tyres up a bit too quickly. And Tom Sykes sixth, Baz seventh, Haslam eighth, Rinaldi ninth, and Schlieb in the top ten for the independent Kawasaki team as well. Cortese 11th, Flores 12th, Chaz Davis 13th, Karakasulo 14th, Takahashi 15th, and why did Bautista did DNF? God damn it. Um, so yeah. yeah, he was down he, in he's, 16th. He swapped it around where he's really good in the races, but is crashing and qualifying this year. Yeah, put it on the floor and turn six. I'm, <sighs> I'm, I'm seeing two other riders that aren't here on this list too. What happened? Where is four... Where's uh where's Gerloff? I believe he had an injury in warm-ups. I'm not a hundred percent sure on that one. Yeah, it was like him and Laverty both missed the Super Bowl in race two and Camier was just scratched from the weekend. Yeah, Camier had a big crash in I wanna say FP one. Um I think he dislocated his shoulder or something along those Oof. lines. He's uh you know, the the guy we used to nickname on Bike Live is the Ambulance Chaser. Um, living up to his name there, unfortunately. Um, yeah, he's, he's out, um... out for the weekend, but now with no Qatar, he's got more time to recover. Should be back for round three, basically. So, uh, yeah, Camier was, a, was, a, was scratched for obvious reasons. We can hope, um, but, like, Camier's body is... It can't be in a good way at this point. Dinged up. He's taken a lot of those sorts of knocks over his career. Um... Let's just say there was a reason why we nicknamed him the Ambulance Chaser on Bike Live. Mm. Yeah. Race two. And uh, if this was a Bike Live episode, this would be the point where Rebecca Lowe's... Trust me, Rebecca Rebecca James would be entering the chat. Although the surname would also make sense. Because Alex Lowe's... With the nickname of Old Bull on the pit board, um, his team telling him to be patient and the opportunity would come, and that's exactly what happened. Alex Lowe's winning in his first weekend with the new Kawasaki team, and now leading the championship. Who'd have guessed that after Phillip Island? Um, he beat Jonathan Ray with a brilliant uh, overtake on the final lap into the first corner. It was beautifully done, and Ray just did not have an answer for him. In fact, if you read some of the race notes afterwards, he, um, it actually goes in-depth talking about how Ray tried a move into Lukey Heights and tried to pass on the final corner like he did with Top Rack in the Super Bowl race. Lowe's 
took his finger off the throttle for just long enough to, to basically force Ray to pull up slightly and disable his momentum. Oh. And that's what was able to have Lowe's lead over the line by just three hundredths of a second. Oh, to win. Sometimes when in doubt, you park the bus. And that's exactly what Alex Lowe's did. That's exactly what he did. He, he, he took his finger off the throttle just long enough to end Ray's momentum and it won. Brilliant stuff. Um, Ray in second, and guess who was third? That's right, it's Scott Redding. <laughs> because of course Again? it is. Again? Yes. Three, three, three. A whole set of bronze medals. He'd make the Great Britain Olympic track and field team with that sort of consistency. Um, <laughs> third, f- third place for Scott on that one. Again, three third places over the course of the weekend. Redding talked a lot about how this was a, a learning curve. He's still learning about the nuances of the Ducati and in race trim and burned his tyres a little bit too much um, during his final phase, as did Michael Vandermark, who again finished in fourth. Chas finishing in fifth place this time, out of Bautista. Should even seventh. Good result for him for the Vernon Archer Kawasaki Independence out there. Great result for him. Um, Laurie Baz in eighth for Tenkarte. Cortese ninth. Sykes in tenth. Forez eleventh. And Haslam twelfth. Only twelve finishes to the, to the for race two. Baz finished down there for a reason. Baz was fighting for the lead. Until? Until he and Top Rack had a little bit of a coming together. Mm. Yes. The old Yamaha boys tangled. Top Rack put it in the dirt. He couldn't continue. Baz would go on to finish in eighth. Alongside Michael Ruben Rinaldi, Federico Kawakazulo, and Takumi Takahashi, who again failed to finish. God damn it, Takuma. You're better than um, this. We know you're better than this. Think back to Suzuka, damn it. So, oh yeah, as mentioned, a, a tremendous set of free races. Here's an early look at the championship standings. Alex Lowe's has a 12-point lead. Who'd have thought I'd ever be saying that? <laughs> um, Alex Lowe's 12 points ahead of Scott Redding in second on 39 points. Top Rack Razgatioglu in third on 34. Jonathan Ray on 32. Michael Vandermark on 31. Bautista on 20. Tied with Loris Baz in seventh. Chaz Davis in 19th with 19 points. Um, Haslam in ninth with 17, as is Tom Sykes in 10th, also on 17. Quick run, man. Super Sport race. Mandatory pit stops. you got to love them because the Super Sport tyres couldn't go more than nine laps. Uh, fun times. Andrea Locatelli, the former Moto2 and Moto3 man, winning in his class debut ahead of Raffaele De Rosa in second, 5.8 seconds further back on the MV Augusta. And Jules Clazel, the great wall himself, is back for another year, and he was in third of the GMT Yamaha team in there. So, yeah, check that one out as well. It's it's a, it's a interesting time indeed. Shout out as well to the young man, Chan Onshu, in 11th as well in his Super Sport debut. So not a bad result for him at all. As mentioned, watch all three races. They are all brilliant. Go out of your way to see them. Another excellent season opener from World Superbikes. They'll be back in a month's time. Hopefully only a month. Blasted COVID-19. So, Ten, I take a quick oh. break, I'll get my breath back, and after that, we'll slip into some slippers and be a bit miserable as we talk about Formula 1 and our 2020 season preview. So, 
here we are. Try not to feign too much excitement. It's gonna be good. It it's a pinnacle motorsport. Yay! Is that so, what we're uh, calling it? It markets itself as such, so obviously it's true. Marketing can do some crazy things to people, RJ. Yeah, yeah that's true. So yeah, let's talk about. The 2024 Formula 1 season preview. Now, we're going to go into the big three teams first, and we'll try to talk ourselves into something to be excited about. We'll call it Group A, and in Group B, we've got the Formula 1.5 trophy between, well, everybody else, essentially. Okay. Yeah. Pick, pick any one of these first three teams, which are, of course, Mercedes, Ferrari, and Red Bull. Who do you want to talk about first? Red Bull, because it seems like they're the least consequential. Yeah. I've also mentioned killer questions for each team in here, um, which, I'll, which I'll address for each team as we go on by section. But Red Bull, here we are. Max Verstappen and Alex Albon on their team. And, uh, well, my killer question for Red Bull was, why aren't you going to be bronze medalists again? Mm. Because I have, no, I have no faith in... For, uh, if I have anything... Uh, with the way that their car looked during preseason testing, I know it was about as stable as my uh, mental health state. However, but, the update package introduced on the last couple days of testing calmed the car down a lot. Yeah, that's the thing. I've seen more evidence that Red Bull Honda has more of an upward trajectory than anything I've seen out of Ferrari in the last... However long have I been on this podcast since taking over Johnson's <laughs> spot? Yeesh. Something, um, something, something like that. Yep. Year two of the Red Bull Honda partnership. Car looks quick. good. Car looks very, very fast. Car looks nailed to the road. The problem is that it's not arriving at turns quite as fast as the other two teams in this group. That's always been Red Bull's Achilles heel. They have to get... I know, like, the first race is an anomaly because mm -hmm. Australia isn't like other tracks. They have Red to Bull show... They have to show they are... Within a quarter second of Mercedes from day one. They have to win that race. They should be targeting Zanvoort. They should be winning that on home soil. Otherwise, don't even bother. Because it's, it's going to be the same old talk with Red Bull every year. Every, they're going to be year. a team that wins... They're going to be a team that wins free... The free they'll win three races. And then everyone will say, well, this be the team to challenge Mercedes. And then we go through the same pattern over again where they'll finish... Most of their races, like second, they'll have a car on the podium every weekend, but they're not going to win enough. Look, that's that's what it feels like. To every me. year, like another we're, year we're in the same boat. Every year, we think, okay, Red Bull have Adrian Newey, they have factory power units from Honda, and they have Max Verstappen, who, no matter your opinion, is an extraordinary talent. And every year, Mercedes punches their fucking teeth in. That's what it feels like. Mercedes is just as good on the chassis side, if not better with the advent of some mm -hmm. <clears throat> questionably legal suspension systems. Yeah, but they've mm. always been that good. They've always been that good. They have a better power unit. They have Lewis motherfucking Hamilton. And the difference here, Mercedes over Red Bull, they have a number two who's going to pick up the pieces. Because you know damn well, if Red Bull could only enter one car for Max Verstappen, that's what they'd do. I think we're all sleeping on Alex Albon a bit. I know, I know there's phrasing that, that could be implied here, but Alex Albon was very lucky, was very unlucky not to be on the podium um, when he was racing at Brazil. He finally has a full, 
winter and a year of off-season testing to prepare for a ride at a top team. He was giving guys like Russell and Norris fits. I think we're all being a little bit harsh on him by saying that sixth is his ceiling. I wouldn't go as as far as to say sixth is his ceiling, but I've not seen anything to suggest he's going to be up there with Max, which is what they're going to be needing in order for him to mount a serious title challenge. What I said, I didn't say out of a lack of respect for Albon's talent, because I think he's a tremendously talented driver. I said that because Red Bull clearly favor Max, they build the car around Max, they build the team around Max, and Albon is just there to not forfeit in the championship. And that's yeah. what, as and, long as Max is number one there, that's all the second Red Bull will be. And as we've proven, their talent is more than expendable if the right scenario befalls them. Right, yeah. just ask everybody on their junior team, which we'll talk about in the B segment of the show. Ask everybody mm-hmm. who has found far better fortunes outside of Red Bull's program. Both, uh, both success-wise and monetary-wise. Shout out, Daniel. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Red Bull, are we still looking him into third then? I think Verstappen will be best of the rest in the championship. I think they'll be third in the constructors. I think I have Verstappen finishing second in the drivers' championship, and and Red Bull finishing second in the teams' championship by a slim margin over Ferrari, unless Ferrari are really playing their cards close to their chest and can prove that they can stop infighting for a change. <laughs> I'm in the same camp as RJ, where I do see uh, Red Bull outperforming Ferrari over the course of the entire season, however long that may be. But yeah, Ferrari would really have to show some noticeable, significant improvement to have me consider, you know, Red Bull locked in at third in the constructors. I'm, I'm, I don't like. I, I this, this has been the same team for five years. I'm not going to suddenly start deviating now. I, I, I. I like Max, but I don't like. I think he needs 320 to 340 points to finish second overall, and that would be a big leap from his personal best, which I think is 285. Hmm. He needs to really win five or six rather than two or three for me to make a leap that far to think he'll finish as high as second in the championship. That's what I personally think will happen. So I think Max will probably finish. Third in the championship again for the third year in a row, and I mm-hmm. think Red Bull will finish third as a team because I've, I've not got enough faith in Albon to justify leapfrog. He'd have to be punching the nose of Vettel or Leclerc every week for, to realistically think they're going to finish in second. I can't get there, so I'm going to say I'm going to say thirds and thirds, like bronze medalists again. A very bold prediction on my part on that one. So, uh, hooray! So, shall we talk? Ferrari next, then? I know we love to. We love to talk Ferrari, (laughs) and we love to be optimistic about Ferrari's chances on this show every single week on Motorsport 101. Fuck the optimism. Let's do it. Ferrari. Um, where do we begin? Uh, is that fire I smell? No, uh, no, no, you see, we salted, no, we salted the earth upon which the church stood. Yeah, I I burned it down last week. I, I have moved on from the church. I am no longer a believer. And you, and, and you know what? I am okay with this. Same here, I mean. come to, yet, yet, you still believe they're gonna finish second in the constructors. That, I think that's more of a, uh, I think that's more a statement about the nature of Red Bull as a team. That's just a comment on inertia. 
even if they were sandbagging, which I believe they were to an extent, because there's no way Alfa Romeo with the same engine has 50 kph on them in a straight line. I'm sorry. But, uh, there's nothing to say that Ferrari, uh, Ferrari will challenge for either championship this year. There's nothing to say that they haven't fixed any of their issues from last year because the car looks better in turns, but not as good as the Red Bull or the Merc. So now we got to ask the uh, the million dollar question: um, Is Sebastian Vettel going to have a? Is Sebastian Vettel going to recede further, or is Charles Leclerc going to have a sophomore slump? Neither. Uh, dare I say it? Both. I. I don't have. I, I, honestly, I I don't think the driver performances matter. My yeah. killer question for Ferrari was: Can this team be ran properly? Because based on the evidence, <laughs> good good joke. Because like based on last season, the answer to that is clearly no. Like last year was a colossal mess on every conceivable level, from team orders, driver management. You know, if anything, Drive to Survive has proven those two. I don't think those two drivers like each other as anywhere near as people claim they do. Um, there was multiple clashes, multiple changes of direction. Development went away from Sebastian for no goddamn reason. Um, they've clearly gone all in on Charles Leclerc. They gave him that enormous five-year deal. They're still sitting down with Seb trying to convince him to stick around. I mean, Seb's made it quite clear he's not retiring or anything like that. He thought about it over the off-season and said, I still want to do this. So the media shut the fuck up, for God's sake, um, about a possible retirement. He's clearly said he doesn't want to, um, and that should be the end of it. But I, this team is a hot mess, and the annoying thing is is that I am so ill-convinced of Red Bull being better than them, I still think they'll finish in second, but I think they'll be completely mediocre. I think both their drivers will score around 240 points, 250 points, something in that ballpark. They'll be middle of the road. They'll be a distant second to Mercedes, who I think are going to win at least 16 races this year out of the 13 that we'll probably have left um, by the time the COVID-19 sweeps through. Does Ferrari go winless? Is this another winless season? No. Charles Leclerc will match his total of two race wins. I'm not going to say he's going to score as many points. I think Ferrari scores a goose egg this year for wins. No, I, I disagree. I think I don't think Ferrari will be that bad per se. And look, Mercs have a couple of bad rounds every year. That that tends to be a pattern. And, if, and as the hybrid era has gone on, they've been more and more vulnerable as the years have gone by. They like at the start of the hybrid era, they were losing three times a year. Now they're losing seven or eight times a year. So it's not. It's not a man like they're not the completely overarching dominant force they were. I mean, they get me wrong. I think a part of that is because Nico Rosberg is a better driver than Valtteri Bottas is. But I think there was a there was a smaller margin of error for them now than there were six years ago, um, for example. But I I don't think Ferrari will go winless. They'll shit house one or two around there somewhere, but. I'm, I'm not convinced on them as a serious title contender at all. The reason why I said both to RJ's question is that if development is continuing to go away from Vettel, we know Vettel, we know what Vettel needs in a car. If Ferrari can't give him that, he's going to struggle. That's just how Vettel's career has gone. Not only that, we've seen that Vettel tends to lose some motivation when there's no shot at a championship. I think that's going to hit Leclerc this year too in a sophomore year. 
Because I disagree. I think ultimately, I think, I think Ferrari are farther away than they were last year. The upside, and I know that, like you know, Charles did not have the perfect season, but his upside over the next three, five years is much higher than Sebastian Vettel's. It's a matter of whether or not the team can be competently run enough to give him a chance to compete for more race wins and compete for a championship, which is what his talent deserves. Well, that's the issue. I don't think it's a question of talent. I think it's a question of Leclerc just signed a fat-ass contract extension. Like, he's getting that Mike Trout money. He's getting that money. He's getting all that support. And like the four-time champion sitting next to him, like the two-time champion that preceded him, I think Ferrari is going to rip the motivation out of him. I genuinely think this might be Ferrari's worst hybrid year since 2014. Wow. He's even more miserable than I am. I didn't know that was possible. King, any optimism in the camp? Uh, like, I genuinely believe... I genuinely believe that their pace and testing had to be off the bark somewhat compared to the straight-line speeds of the other Mercedes... of the other Ferrari-powered cars. But in, in terms of them contending for the championship... It is a long shot. There's a chance, but it's a long shot. Like, we'd have to... Well, you compared to your predictions, it would have to be widely off the mark come Australia. My other thing is with challenging for the championship is that Ferrari couldn't challenge for the championship when they had arguably the fastest car in 2017. Hmm. They don't know how to run two number one drivers. They don't even know how to draw up a strategy before the race, let alone adapt to in-race conditions. Just look at Russia. Ugh. I got nothing for you there. Um, God. Should we cheer ourselves up by talking about the dominant team in the field? Let's do it. Mercedes will never let us down. I was going to say, Merck's going to question, can anything touch them? Mercedes will destroy the field this year. The car looked redonkulous in testing. Oh, it, it was did. arriving it... at turns faster than everything else. It was entering the turns faster than everything else. They did more laps than any other team. They ran faster than any other team for what testing times actually matter in preseason testing. They look good. It looks like they've eliminated the one major flaw of the W10. The fact that W10 was draggy. Well, thanks to DAS, they can cut drag off their wheels with the pull of a steering column. So I asked yep. the question again, uh, when Lewis Hamilton runs the table, how many races will that consist of? To be determined. From <laughs> yeah, nine, to be determined. 17, 16, 15, I don't know, but... Well, we don't know how many races we're running this year, I think that's the pertinent question. That's exactly, but it would not surprise me if Merckx ran the table this year as a team. I think their car looks stupid fast, it looks... It, um, you know what? I'm getting 2015 sort of vibes here from this car. Where it's just like you can visibly tell it's probably got a third of a second on the field minimum. That said, don't don't discount the fact that that car they had what three engine failures for Williams mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. two or three for the factory team. Yeah, that's the only sign of vulnerability. That's the only sign of vulnerability when the car is going. It looks untouchable. But no team is better at looking after their engines than Mercedes are. Yeah, and Mercedes is absolutely willing to cut a couple tenths a lap off their pace if it means getting to the end of a race. 
and making the year on their allocation of power units. Hell, they're willing yeah. to use, like, Racing Point and Williams as, like, test mules. Yeah, and when you have as much pace as Mercedes, you can afford to back your engines down. We saw it all of 2014. We saw that car's true pace maybe two or three times across the year. So my question as well is, um, and more serious question, when does Lewis Hamilton get to 91 wins? Oh, again, that that's... <laughs> to be determined. If, if, Good yeah, health if, willing... If, yeah, if we if we if we run all the races this season, it will happen this season. I think it will happen before the summer break. He's, av- he's averaged ten wins a year since the hybrid era began. I would say, as an ultimate fuck you to the field, he takes it at Monza. Mm. Oh no! Wow, no. that would that would just <laughs> right right that, at Schumacher's home be... track. That would be like the scene in, in in Indiana Jones in the Temple of Doom where he rips the guy's heart out and shows it to him before he dies. Like That would be the ultimate crown jewel of the Mercedes hybrid era dominance. A one two finish at Monza? A one Mark two, it down. A one two finish at Monza with Lewis taking Michael's record. Oh, I've got one as well. Um, how? What does Valtteri Bottas need to do this season to get people off of his ass? Um, <laughs> nothing, because he won't. Next question. It, won't, it, it doesn't matter. Like, Look, he's not going to Val- leave. He can stick around, pick up the pieces when Lewis falters, and get a token P2 in the championship for however long as he wants. If they didn't drop him after two years ago, they're never going to drop him. Because he was much better last year anyway. He, he, had, he had some of the luck he was probably due to get in 2017 go his way. So, so, so 2018, I should say, sorry. 2018, he got some of the luck he was meant to have gotten in 2018 go his way. And he actually had some wins and some good performances here and there. And He genuinely stepped it up in qualifying, but his race pace has nothing on Lewis. Yeah, it's still not there, but he still provides more than enough to give that team a more than capable number two at worst. And an occasional race winner and challenge to Hamilton at best. And that's absolutely fine. I think Mercedes has their best year of the wide car era. Better than last year. I think they have their best one since the end of 2016. Okay. We'll keep our eyes on that. The battle for the Formula 1.5 trophy. Um, oh why does it say Mercedes? He, oh, um, that's crossed out. Um, racing, no, uh, Tracing Point. Tracing I guess, Point. guess we'll start with Racing Points. They're no longer baby. <laughs> they have power and a Mercedes W10D. Yeah. Um, Thanks, Daddy Stroll. Yeah. They looked, well, we know how good this car is. We saw it last year. Yeah. We saw how good it looks last year. How does that compare to what the top three teams are doing this year? And my other question is, how are they going to develop this? Yeah, you see, that's kind of the thing, is when you copy someone else's work in F1, sometimes it leads you down a path you don't quite understand. But they looked rocket ship fast in testing. Perez said it was the best car he's ever had. Yeah, better than the Sauber that he had free podiums with in 2012. (laughs) Yeah, that car looks like a rocket ship. It should be. They did everything they could to replicate the W10. They brought all the parts off the shelf they could have done under the current rulebook. 
and on top of that, they developed the car in such a way where it looks very similar to the W10. It Quite literally, the, the only things that are different on it are the side pods. The barge boards are almost a one-to-one -one copy. The nose is literally a one-to-one -one copy. So the only question is, relatively speaking, where does that fit with the current top three? If it fits anything like last year's, then uh-oh, this, this team could be a serious problem. Um... Of, of course, that's what's led to a lot of dissension between them and Haas, arguing about who can copy what off each of, of its predecessors' yeah, cars. I, th I think it's quite funny that Racing Point, despite going farther in terms of copying a top-team car than even Haas has, are still shit-talking Haas's business model. You just did it better. <laughs> and not only that, yeah. Racing Point and Renault signed the agreement with the teams about the Ferrari power unit, Renault, who was caught slam dunk cheating last year, and Racing Point, who are really pushing the sharing IP rules in F1. Oh, yeah. That is, by all intents and purposes, a customer car. <sighs> yeah, and I think they're going to have to answer to that at some point because someone is going to protest this car, and they're going to have to prove that no Mercedes IP, other than what was bought off the shelf has gone into the design of the car. Because you can copy oh, by eye all you want in F1, but if you're sharing aero data or CAD data, or if you're sharing actual parts, you're in big trouble. I think I think they're in big trouble. I like, think they might be in I, really, <laughs> really big trouble. Like, it, it feels like... Gut feeling is that the car that they did their actual launch with, the one that's clearly not the one they... Uh, that was, that was an absolutely legendary move, by the way. Tremendous. <laughs> the delivery wasn't the same. No. It's a show car. They took all of us on a ride. Like, it, that car that in the quote-unquote launch was clearly last year's car with upgrades. Like, it feels like that is their backup car. Yeah, I mean, when there's, when there's tiny fins hanging off the gearbox that look exactly like the W10... It's one thing to copy by eye. It's one thing to do what Haas does and maybe do a 60 to 70% copy of the Ferrari. It's another thing to be copying every individual element off the W10. Yeah, from what I understand, they just pretty much designed it based off of a bunch of photographs of the W10 that they yes, combined. Yes, uh, 16K photographs, which were handed to them by um, Wodo Tolf. <laughs> yeah, so... Watch, all it's going to take is Australia will happen, Racing Point will have both their cars in the top eight, and immediately someone's going to kick up a stink. <laughs> How far in the top eight are we talking? Because if it's... Top, a... top fives. I'm thinking they're nipping at the heels of Ferrari. Not beating Ferrari, but they're within striking distance. Yeah, like it's <clears throat> genuinely probably going to be concerning to uh, the lesser teams in the in the big three. So, how quickly is it before Haas immediately file an objection in front of the FIA's desk like Phoenix Wright does in the video games? I think it'll be Ferrari. No, I think it'll be McLaren. McLaren. I think McLaren and that Renault. That sounds like exactly the level of petty shit that Zach Brown would do. But the thing Them is, the reason I don't think it, it would be McLaren, they're going to be a, a Mercedes-supplied team next year. Mm-hmm. That is a fair mm, point. Yeah, Mercedes, yeah, at the same time, though, McLaren has always made decisions as if they were a factory because they're in a unique position of kind of being a factory that doesn't make their own engines. Yeah. They have a unique position within the quote-unquote privateers of F1. So 
after we all kind of took Lance Stroll to task for being bad at qualifying, uh, do you think this is a make-or-break season for him as a driver to realize his potential? It doesn't matter because his dad owns the team. But yes, he has to show improvement. Yeah, on paper, yeah, on paper for me, my killer question was: So, what's the deal with Lance Stroll? Because Stroll is arguably the worst qualifier in the field, pound for pound. I argued last year in the season review, he regressed because remember, he got the last front row that Williams will ever have. Let's be real with ourselves; he was not bad in qualifying in his debut with Williams, or even when he was driving that shit box in 2018. And yet last year, Perez destroyed him in qualifying. But that's the thing as well. He always It was 18 good. free head-to-head. Yeah. He starts well, and if nothing else, like, he, he was in position to score a podium in that really weird weekend in Germany. Yeah, There's race bits is not and pieces question. there. Yeah, there he's is the potential there. But he doesn't have the one lap. I argue he's lost his one lap pace. And he needs and, to get it back. And if you believe in momentum, then you saw Sergio Perez finish last season. That yeah, man's going to be a problem for podiums. And his tire saving in a W10 <laughs> copy. God oh, help the God. midfield. The midfield might get dunked on hard here. And this man's going to one-stop everywhere. Yeah, that, that could be a serious problem. Um... <laughs> Lance Stroll, he, like like I said, it almost doesn't matter politically because, like you said, I, I, I hope in a perfect world with the amount of money Lawrence is putting into the team, at one point you'd have to have the difficult decision as to whether to move on from his son as a driver. But there is no fucking way on earth that's ever going to happen. So Lance will be there forever. Um, also consider which, next year they'll be Aston Martin. Oh, for the love of Christ. But yeah. Uh, yeah. No longer baby, I, I, they have power. <laughs> no longer baby, they have power. Oh my oh god. god! Yeah, th- this could be a, a tale of two cars in pink here, and I think they'll, I think there'll be some shit with, with Racing Point and, and this W10 clone before the year's out, before the summer break is even out. I'd argue. So we'll we'll see how that goes I for them. But it, it's gonna uh, if they can prove that there's no quote unquote Mercedes IP in the car. Beyond what they can purchase off the shelf, they're fine. If they don't, if they can't prove that, or if they prove that there is, they get tossed out of the championship. I think whether or not they get tossed out of the championship, I think they stand on at least two podiums. I'd argue more. You guys think they're that good in that car? I think they might get four podiums. Yes, definitely. I didn't say what podium positions, probably third places. Yeah, probably third places, but they'll be on the podium. Damn, Mercedes is so good, they're sweeping podiums now. <laughs> I'm I'm not sure the goalposts have moved far enough for me to make that heady a claim, but I certainly think top fives are are in are in the realm of possibility. Let's also consider Sergio Perez is the master of shit housing podiums. He is. And he's got shithouse king. Be- he's got the best tool that he's ever had in his career at his disposal. A chew, a chew in the flavored pizza. Um, oh, why? Why would we bring we have, it up? We have six other teams to choose from. Where do you want to go next on the big board of Formula 1.5? Shall we go with the F1.5 champions from last year? McLaren? McLaren. McLaren the Renault. people's champions. The third and will be, what, the last year of the Renault partnership? Mm-hmm. <sighs> 
McLaren's a weird one. They looked really good in preseason, but as we just kind of mentioned, the Racing Point Mercedes clone kind of overshadowed them. Yeah. Because I think we were yeah. all going into the season looking like, okay, McLaren are shoo-ins to win F1.5 next year, especially with the structure they now have in place. Now I'm not so sure. Well, if Racing Point are half the team you guys are hyping them up to be, then it, then McLaren's going to get their asses whooped. That's the thing. The McLaren, by its own, just on its own virtues, looked really solid in testing as well. It did. They they waited until the end of testing to really tune it up. Um, Kay, what do you make of McLaren's chances? While the McLaren does look solid, it looks like a, a solid base for a car for the future. Mm-hmm. This year... On one lap pace, head-to-head against the Racing Point, I don't think they can match the Racing Point. There's also the matter of the French boat anchor residing in the the engine cover. Yes, they are still a Renault-powered outfit. And that's the thing. Like, the Renault engine is not typically the worst part of the Renault Formula One team's car, which we'll talk about in a bit. (laughs) Um, So Carlos Sainz had a return to form this season. Um, Do we expect more of the same this year? I think so. I think think he's going to keep progressing. I think he has potential to be the best driver outside the big three again. Could be. Could very well be. On form, not necessarily on point score. Yeah. I was going to have to say, like, I feel like where Racing Point was a couple of years ago. And do you remember Mark Henry's old WWE theme music, The Wall? Hmm. That's that's where I feel McLaren are going to hit. This is always the problem. Once you get to the top of the midfield, you hit the wall. The wall. The wall, etc. Uh, nothing on earth can make you fall. But you get you get the gist where I'm saying it's like I feel like the wall will come and the rest of the field will catch up and if Racing Point has made the gains you guys are alluding to, they could be in a bit of trouble. And Someone always bounces up in the midfield. It happens every year. It was it was it was McLaren this year. It was Racing Point a couple of years ago. We've had Renault bounce up with their resources, which we'll get to later. My killer question was: so what happens if he hit the wall? And that's what I'm fearing is gonna happen with McLaren. I think the wall is not of their own making. I think No, I'm not saying boat. it is. I think it's that boat anchor. Because we saw last year, I'd argue last year, McLaren would have been matching and or beating Ferrari sometimes if they didn't have a Renault engine in the back. Because that car was a bullet last year. Is this, this going to be a, is this going to be a damage limitation year until Mercedes power comes in for 2021? I think so. I think I they're going to be doing as much as they can with what they've got in preparation for next year. I will be surprised if they fall out of the top six. They have two drivers in Carlos Sainz and Lando Norris who are way too good to let that happen. I think the potential is still there for them to pick up pick up a couple of podiums we saw it happen with signs and all i know that there was uh post-race shenanigans that happened to make that happen the fact is that they were in position to capitalize when that happened yeah yeah it's it's a different midfield now like things have changed around them but then so has Mm -hmm. mclaren changed with that because yeah, they still have the Renault engine in the back, but Signs is still continuing to develop. We've got Lando in his second year. We yeah. don't know what we're going to see out of him. And Andreas fucking Seidel running the team. And I've seen firsthand what he can do running a team. 
It's a great team on paper. It's a tremendous team. Not to mention James Key, who I think is a vastly underrated technical director, running the technical side now. James Key should. James Key is like one of one of the three best tech directors in the sport. Absolutely. But the problem is, is that the the problem is they need to find a second lap to really make proper gains on where they were last year. I don't think they can do that with the card. I don't think they're going to get that help from their engine supplier. You know what they say about the law of diminishing returns, and that's the problem. Eh, I've never been a, be- a believer in that, but... <sighs> McLaren... It, Racing Point has made the midfield discussion very difficult. <laughs> it has. Yeah. I still don't think they fall out of the top six. I would be I think, shocked and amazed. I they think shouldn't. McLaren and Racing Point will be beating the shit out of each other across the year. That's my thinking. That's my thinking is that they will have a very close and entertaining battle for fourth in the World Constructors Championship, which leads us to very difficult questions about McLaren's engine supplier. And I also think that Lando Norris's bad luck from last year is going to start to turn around. Please do not listen to anybody, Lando, that tells you that you are being way too fun. You're a breath of fresh air. I, I think part of Lando's competitiveness comes from him just being fun. Look at how look at how competitive look at Lewis Hamilton since he left McLaren. Where he can just Mercedes just lets him be himself. It's awesome. I love it. Yep, and Lewis has been whooping ass ever since. Five more to go. Mm. Shall we make the midfield situation even more complicated by talking about Renault? <laughs> I don't think they make it more complicated. <laughs> Renault's weird. Renault has been weird. Like, I I talked about this during our talk, discussions about testing, where this is a make-or-break year for Renault. Most of their sponsorship deals end at the end of the season. Uh, while, like, even if the Renault board decides to continue on with the Formula 1 project, they, unless they prove to their sponsors that they are a worthwhile investment, they won't have the resources to compete unless they compete this year. Remember that excuse about not having a top-tier driver? Yeah. That is completely, utterly out the fucking window now. They now have what I believe to be two top-tier drivers. One is a proven Grand Prix winner, and the other has the potential to be a Grand Prix winner still, although he has been out of the sport for a year. Which is why it infuriates me that Renault are not in a position where they should be by year five of this five-year plan, which is being able to win races and compete on a consistent basis. I said it before we started recording. It is amazing to me that the technical staff in Enstone, who were installed after James Allison left midway through 2013, kept their jobs for as long as they did. Let's just run it down. The 2014 Lotus, an absolute pile of garbage. The 2015 Lotus, carried kicking and screaming to a podium by a Mercedes engine. And also a failed Pirelli tire. Thanks, Pirelli. Mm. 2016 Renault... If it wasn't illegal, would it have even scored a point? <laughs> Unlikely. 2017? A little better. Eh. 2018, a little better? Yeah, a little Hulkenberg, better. Hulkenberg was very good in 2018. Yeah, Hulkenberg, Hulkenberg carried that fucking car for two years. Then 2019 rolls around, and they regressed and were curb stomped by their customer team. Dre, you remember that point about hitting the wall? That's what Renault did last year. 
And that's the thing with Renault. They have so much more resource than everyone else around them, and they can't escape the midfield purgatory. Yeah, this isn't yeah. Lotus that can't pay the bills. This is Renault. They could afford to pay £20 million a year to one driver. You've which got... in the midfield is an obscene amount of money. Yeah, you've got a star driver lineup and far more resources than everyone around you. You have to step up this year. I said it was already. No, my killer question for Renault was, where's all the money going? It's uh, it's going into the fires produced by all of the blown engines. Sick for best. Sick. So, so none of us were encouraged by what we saw at a preseason testing. They, they didn't look bad in testing. In fact, I think they looked remarkably better than they did last year in testing. They, but that's yeah. not that's that bar is it's in the good. mantle of the earth. I think fourth fourth should be what they should shoot for. Anything. Fifth place or less is unacceptable. But no matter how many points the score, my bold prediction is that I think both drivers will break fairly even on points. And that Esteban Ocon will win the qualifying battle by a slim margin. Well, I think Ricardo will win that. I think Ricardo's always been a, a better qualifier than given credit for. I think him going up against Verstappen was never ideal. But I also think that I think sixth. I, I can't. They should be aiming for fourth. But I don't think they'll get there. Ideally, the, they should uh, be aiming for first. Yeah. But yeah. we're not this there is the yet. Last, this is the last year of their plan, and they've got nothing to show for it. Indeed. go to uh, Alpha Tori. They exist. <laughs> no, we're not talking about Boris Johnson. Oh. <sighs> That's a joke there, ladies and gentlemen. I was going to say, you know what my kind of question was for them? And I'm not joking, so where are you guys going? Hmm. I don't, I don't I have an opinion on them after testing, really. Yeah, it, I don't, they're, they generally just feel like They've gone from development team to full-up B-team, where it's like, hey, you're here to support and aid the effort of Red Bull Racing in hopes of helping Red Bull Racing improve. We have reinforced that your drivers are clearly not cut out for the Red Bull A-team, but you can thrive and succeed on the B-team. It was proven last year. See Daniel Kvyat at Germany. See Pierre Gasly at Brazil. The environment with Red Bulls created a weird situation where we've got two drivers who, as you said, are thriving in the B team, but are basically dead ends for Red Bull moving up. This feels this feels like a team in purgatory. Just the way I like my constructors, formerly known as Minardi. They're just <laughs> it, happy to be there. But that's never going to be enough for a Red Bull-owned team now, is it? Nah. The good, the only solace, I guess, for Gasly and Kvyat is that their their next uh, their next prospects in the queue, assuming Daravava doesn't go completely off the rails and win the Formula Two title in his debut, are at least two years away. Yes, yeah. They have the, some the, the reboots distance. bought them some time. So Gasly, he looked better once he came back to the constructors formerly known as Toro Rosso, formerly known as Minardi. 
Do you think that sustains into this year to where he can effectively lead the team? Or can Daniel Kvyat get it together? This is fine. Get it together. (laughs) I've been asking these questions for both drivers for a little while now. I'm not sure how much of a damaged good situation Pierre Gasly is. If he is, does that alienate Daniel Kvyat even further? Because, like, Kvyat had the greatest comeback that now nobody talks about, thanks to Pierre Gasly's podium in Brazil. It's like... Well, not only that, Kvyat went back to his old ways late in last season, where he was just finding anything and everything he could hit. Recency bias, y'all. It's great. Yeah, it's a problem. What have you done for us lately, etc.? It's a problem. Yeah, it's hard to read where this team sits. Yeah, The car looks good. The car looks alright. Um... Shoutouts to BMW Williams of the early 2000s, but I'm just kind of indifferent towards them watching testing. They don't seem to have moved forward, or actually they might have fallen behind the uh, next team in the list, Alfa Romeo. We don't really know. It's it, it's a very weird situation. Like It's like, we don't know where this team is at, or where they place in the current field, we haven't really got a read on their drivers for the future. There's a lot hanging, I think, on the futures of Gasly in Kvyat. But at the same time, Repul hasn't got a viable replacement for at least another year. So it just kind of feels like this is a team that's going to be spinning its wheels for a year. And the curiosity in AlphaTauri will come from where they fit in the current landscape. If it's like AlphaTauri, if it was like Torosso of old, probably around the 5-7 to seven range. It's hard for me to see their ceiling being any higher than 7th, but it's hard to see their floor being 8th. Or, I don't know. One thing I'll notice is that the trend so far, it looks like, in the midfield is that the midfield is beginning to split up into its own set of groups, where you've got Mercedes 2, tracing point, mm-hmm. uh, McLaren and Renault kind of in their own group, and then another group, and then the last two teams we'll talk about. That could be like a group three situation. It could be the best of the third tier, maybe. Yeah, yeah we have a we have a Formula One point seven five now. It's great. <laughs> yeah, Alphatari. Yeah, their clothing is really expensive. Yeah, I they would are... love to be. <laughs> that is an expensive jacket. My God, I would. L- I, the thing is, they always had a knack in most years for showing up at Australia looking like hot shit and then falling Mm. apart down the stretch. It'll be really telling how they do towards the end of the season, but you know damn well that that AlphaTauri, at the absolute least, is going to be the test mule for which the Red Bull uses all of its development. Yeah, because... Get a whole lot of engine penalties. Yeah, while, uh, while Red Bull and Honda have said, we don't want either of our teams taking penalties, they're gonna take penalties... And they're definitely going to test new parts on the Alpha Tauri. Come on. Yeah. Lab Rats round two. Yep. <laughs> so that Next. leaves us with Alpha t- Should we go for the other Alpha? Sure, Alpha Romeo. That certainly won't get confusing as the year goes on, by the way. Yes. The two Alphas against the two Alphas. AT and AR. Perfect. Alpha Romeo. Michael, you know my question was here? This is another interesting one. So what's life after Kimmy? Um, they got a lot of options. They got a lot of options. Yeah, they got a lot of options, and two of them in particular are title favorites in Formula 2. We'll talk about that when and if we get around to previewing Formula 2 season in the form of... Because, again, this, this, feel, 
This feels like another team in purgatory because like, Kimi Raikkonen is 40, God willing, later this year. He's probably going to break the all-time F1 appearance record if he if he if he has a full season or anything near a full season. Yeah, yeah. If we uh, get anything like a full season, he will smash that. Record. Yeah, it would it'd have to be a lot of cancelled rounds for that not to happen this year. <laughs> Or, God forbid, an injury to Kimmy of some kind that puts him out of a seat for a while. You know, hobbies can be hobbies can come and go. Yeah, um, old but, Finnish hobbyist. But no matter which way you slice it, <clears throat> this is a team that's like certainly in term like as a car, they're pretty middle of the road. I actually say the car looked pretty solid in testing. They were definitely pulling some glory runs, but oh, yeah. when they actually were doing long run pace, the car looked pretty solid. And if nothing else, AlphaTauri have one of the best team principals on the grid and Frederick Vasseur, who, even if they don't have the car, will ensure that the team is maximizing its potential, whatever that potential may be. Kimi Raikkonen, through much of the first half of the season, was picking up those points when the car was effective. So now that leads me to the other question. Antonio Giovinazzi, 26 years old, in some regards, you probably should have won that 2016 GP2 Series title. You have had a long and hard road. Are you gonna fade away into obscurity after just two seasons, leave Italy with no hope for a future F1 star again? That's the thing with the uh, life after Kimi question. Because Kimi slapped Giovinazzi around almost all of last year. Only at the very Gio, Gio end of the year, year did Gio really start stepping up. Gio needs a big year. He's not going to get a third chance at this. And uh, I just think back to last year um, where Kimi, Kimi had a great result in qualifying at Spa and was wiped out of his own, basically not of his own fault. Thanks, Max. Mm. But don't worry. Gio picked up the pieces. Oh, oh wait. wait. That's an Alfa Romeo flying into the barrier at Wuhan. In fairness, he did pick it up with... A fifth place finish in Brazil, ninth in Italy, tenth in Singapore. It deserved yeah. a whole lot better in Singapore when he was sent careening into the shadow realm by Daniel Ricardo. He needs to have a big breakout year. Yeah, because a lot of pressure is on him. There's less pressure on Kimmy. He could walk away. Hell, he could just decide Friday after FP1, I don't want to do this. And his legacy is already secure. Yeah. yeah, and the thing is with Kimmy is that if you're not outperforming Kimi, Ferrari isn't even going to look at you because Kimi was dominated every year by Sebastian Vettel. If you can't beat a 40-year-old uh, Finnish hobbyist, how's Ferrari looking at you as their future? Mm. That that could be it's a tricky. Weird one. And the thing is, and it's a weird some one. are thinking, oh well, when Kimi hangs it up, they'll put well either Mick or Schwartzman in that seat. I'm thinking it might be Kimi. And it might be Gio who gets replaced if he doesn't step it up this year. They haven't got a reason to move on from Kimmy yet. He was still solid last season. Yeah, like they they don't have a That's reason just... to move on from Kimmy, but like Kimmy could just retire. Like I think Kimmy is happy to just keep doing does... this and keep getting paid. Well, that's the thing. I, I was gonna say, does he look like a man that's gonna retire anytime soon? He just doesn't. He just doesn't. He just plows on year after year he's like he says, he says it's a fun hobby he's not he's shown no sign of slowing down he's had no real sign of hinting towards retirement he's just out here running races and it works so i don't know i don't i, I don't think kimmy's retiring i i think they're gonna have to move geo along if they want to 
moving a, if, if a if a Ferrari junior driver like an Armstrong or a Schwartzman has a big year, I think Gio could yeah. be the one cold. And I really do. And, and even if that'll be scary. The cataclysmic, you know, situation of if Vettel decides to not return to Ferrari, Gio was beaten by the person who they replaced to slot in alongside Sebastian. Yeah, and at that point, they're Ooh. just going to be like. How much, Mister uh, Mister Beatable, do we need to pay to get our man Daniel out of that contract? They will take Daniel Ricardo before they go with uh, either Kimi again or Antonio. It looks like I don't know. That's a it, that's another intriguing team that I think is probably thinking more about twenty twenty one than they are about twenty twenty, and that's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. Talk about Haas. Um, <laughs> no longer tethered to the constraints of rich energy. Um, now they are free, but they're still probably projecting to be the second slowest team in the pack. They looked Just, awful. They looked. They looked, they looked worse than Williams at times. Oh no! Yeah, how I said that. You know, the Racing Point is a good ninety percent copy of the Mercedes, and the Haas is. 60 to 70 percent ferrari well they accidentally copied the sf90's terminal understeer oh the good car, the car has yet to discover what an apex is all, all, of, shape. all of things that romain grosjean and kevin magnuson desperately need to retain their place on the grid is a car that's not up to task they look i'd argue they almost look worse than they did last year yeah like my killer question was, have you guys got a reason to stay? Yeah, and that's the thing. Gene has straight up said, if we don't perform in the first few races, see ya. He's pulling the plug. He was willing to lose a certain amount of money on this, but I'm sure Gene, being the billionaire that he is, would like to see some sort of return on yeah. his investment. He would have pulled the plug point. on Stuart Haas racing um, a long time ago if they did not perform up to snuff. Yeah, and Haas has actively regressed, it appears, two years in a row now. That's the thing. They were fighting for fourth just two years ago with the, the same approach that they have now. Ha had they not forgotten how to put wheels on cars, they would have been best of the rest two years ago. With the same crew of drivers, the same yeah. team principle. Yeah, and the same philosophy of buy a portion of the car from Ferrari, buy as much as you can, develop some of your own parts and leave the rest to Delara. All the parts they mm -hmm. seemed to buy last year didn't work. The more they bought parts, the worse they performed, where they had to take upgrades off the car. As I said earlier, when you're beholden to someone else's philosophy, sometimes it will lead you down a road that you don't understand. And last year's car, I'd argue, really didn't share as much from the Ferrari as people like to think. But there was something wrong with the front half of their car, and it just destroyed their arrow. And every piece they put on the car made it worse. It got to the point where they were using pre-season testing floors and getting more performance. Mm. And they're also, they're beholden to outside Ugh. suppliers. They don't make their own parts. Delara does. That came up when uh, they had the illegal floor issue in 2018, where they couldn't make their own new floor because they don't make their own floors. Christ. And I don't now, want to lose another team. I really I, don't. I don't. I don't either, especially when, for better and for worse, Haas brings a lot of personality to the paddock. 
if nothing else. Right. It does, and we need an American influence in this sport. They are they are a vital part of the history of this sport, and I think the sport is better for it to have an American influence in it. And it would be a real shame to lose Haas after just five years. And remember the, the um, elation of their but, debut race when Grosjean scored points on debut. Yeah, oh. that's another I want to drive driver I Sixth want to talk place. about the the now a one number one with a bullet punching bag of the Formula One fan base at large. I'm not calling anybody out particular. I'm just saying that this man gets no love and now. Whoa, whoa! I wouldn't go that far. Like seriously, half the internet has a fucking loving for this dude. It's like mm, it I don't. I wouldn't split. It down is down not split down the middle. No. It is a very it small seventy thirty percentage. Seventy thirty at best. Yeah, Grosjean is the definition of a mixed bag. When he's on, he is genuinely he's one of on. the fastest drivers in F one, and then he walls it. He, I think, has been has been living on borrowed time for a couple of years now in in that spot. I think. Last year, he had a pass because the car was so bad, and he took one for the team by running an Australia mm-hmm. spec car. And was faster for it. And, and you know, did get... Yeah, did, 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 like I said, it, it paid dividends because he did get better results out of it. But what worries me is that if Haas does have a decent car, he, he needs to perform because Kevin Magnussen yeah. is a great talent. We've said this numerous times. He is reckless at times, but K-Mag is an excellent driver, one of the better midfielder guys out there in the sport, and that is still an excellent yardstick. And Haas has been very patient with that team. They've not made major changes. They could have. They could have, as we saw in Drive to Survive episode two this season. We have a pair of fucking idiots driving Mm. for us. Yes, good for the great manager that abuses his staff on a regular Mm. basis. But we love him because he swears. Anyway, more on that in, in future episodes of reviews on the show. But if Haas, if Haas are bad again, I don't know. And it looks like they're on that. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're out, out. First of all, but if they somehow pull something out of out of the bag, and Grosjean doesn't perform, I think he's out of Formula One. I don't want that to happen. I, I don't I, want that oh. to happen either. I remember the heights. I rem- I'm still. Pissed about Japan 2013. I am still angry on Maine that he couldn't win that race. I remember when Grosjean was reeling off podiums left and right and was legitimately the only threat to Red Bull in the second half of 2013. And it's fallen so far away. Yeah. You know what else seems like a long time ago? Kevin Magnussen on the podium on debut. Something only a handful of other drivers, including Lewis Hamilton, have done. Yeah, when McLaren Mercedes opened the hybrid era with a double podium and led the constructors. Bruh. Speaking of teams that haven't been themselves since 2014. Oh. Actually, in fairness, no. Williams fine. Williams look okay. okay. They're, they're better, better than they were last year. I uh, don't think it was possible to not be better. Um, it's yeah. fine. Williams look a lot better than last year. I can't think of a year-to-year jump for a team. I mean, last year, they didn't even show up for testing. And then when they did, their car was illegal. And then when they made it legal, it was still slow. You know, it's it's telling that you're reminiscing about 2018, Ah, yes, with a car that was constantly shutting its own floor off. 
Yeah, that's Yeesh. that's the high point. But you know, Christ. I think Williams will take it. I think they'll take that over having their deputy team principal mm-hmm. being asked stupid questions about how the team's performance is sagging because the team principal is a mother now. But that's besides the point. Clowns, clowns everywhere. Clowns, um, yeah, sexist pigs. The entire clown car. The um, entire circus. The tent and the whole schedule for appearances. Um, Yeah, Williams, they look all right. They're drivers. They look all right. Yeah, they're happy with the car. Yeah. um, Russell beat his poll time for the Spanish Grand Prix on like the second day by over a second, and it was all in Sector 3. Which is insane when you consider the differences in conditions, let alone like progress of the car yeah these conditions the conditions for testing and that's why testing times don't really matter is that testing conditions are not really fit for purpose the tires aren't in the right operating window and williams destroyed their pull time from last year immediately right it's just nice for me in general that williams have some genuine optimism or just some genuine reasons to be optimistic in their camp for the first time in a couple of years. George Russell is still an A-star level talent. If he has anything like a reasonable car, I'm sure we'll see more examples of that rather than just Q1 in Hungary last just last season really being as far as it went. Um, if they've got any sort of car, that being able to maximise his talent would be a big step in the right direction. You know, Nicholas Satifi yeah. would have to wait and see. I mean, hell, he wins Rookie of the Year by default. We'll have to wait and see. Um, I hope he enjoys his time in the sport. I mean, again, if anyone saw the testing picture of him holding up a giant sign to the crowd saying, uh, no more shirtless pigs, <laughs> oh George, God. in the background. <laughs> I was like, Nicholas Satifi immediately shot up my favourite driver's list at least eight spots. So well done, Nick. Um, that's a great start. Um Hopefully the talent comes out on, on shows. I'm rooting for him. I, I you know, it'd be nice to get a, another mm-hmm. fast Canadian in there. But uh, again, it's a hell of a challenge given your yeah. teammate is George Russell, who people s- smile right rightly, smile Jeez. very so high. highly, so, so highly ended up above the 2019 Indy 500 winner. No, I'm not mad. No, you're not never. mad about it at all. You never mentioned. Ah! Um, Fuck auto sport. So do we still have Williams um, at the bottom? I think they will have graduated from F1.999 to, like, F1.7. I, I think they will still have a ceiling of about ninth place. But if they can score double-digit points, or hell, not have to rely on everything falling out of the sky just to get promoted in the points after post-race time penalties are applied, that is a drastic improvement, and I will highly welcome that. And I don't think George Russell has scored no damn zero points this year. I think they will be fighting with Haas. I think they they could even end up ahead of Haas, depending on how bad the Haas is. But uh, I think they will be capable of fringe points this year if things go right. And that is a big step up from last year. We'll have to wait and see. But uh, any other questions you want to throw out there, RJ, before mm. we wrap this up? Okay. Some of these were lovingly borrowed um some of them i should say you're so who is who did we agree on was going to be fourth place team in formula one tracing point 
I think it'll be McLaren. It'll be close, but I think it's McLaren. I think McLaren as well. I think, I think their driver talent stands out a bit more on that head-to-head. Okay. I'm not, con- I'm, not, I'm not convinced that that car will still be what it is by the time the season ends. Mm. What driver will have the best head-to-head qualifying record over their teammate? Checo. Checo. If not, if not Checo, Verstappen. Oh, yeah. You know what? I'm going to give it to Max. Mm. I would st- I would still say Checo, but Verstappen's got a very real chance I think there. it'll be Russell. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> also a very good possibility. I think Latifi will be a bit better than that, but I, I don't think it'll be the worst of the head-to-heads, but absolutely a possibility that Russell goes, um, gives Latifi the donut treatment. Yeah, I think I think the 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 margin between Perez and Stroll is really gonna show. As, as Black and Mild points out in the Discord, George Russell undefeated in qualifying in his F one career. That's true. Um, how what non big trick sits drivers will finish on the podium in two thousand and twenty? Perez, Perez, and I, I, I got one. Mm. I think Perez. I think Carlos Sainz. I think zero. Ooh, zero. You th- you think the big three are gonna lock it out? I do. I uh, I think too much shit has to happen. But the Germany thing is, it's happened, happened last year. Yeah, like Dre, it's happened multiple times over the past few seasons, and that's why I'm Watch going gung ho and predicting that five of the non-big trick six drivers oh, will be on the podium <laughs> in the form of Carlos Sainz, Lando Norris, Sergio Perez, Lance Stroll, and Daniel Ricciardo. Oh, that's bold. <laughs> that's bold. Well, uh, I now know that supporter of the show Tony is going to wherever RJ lives. Over that Lance Stroll prediction. How far does this championship fight go to? Fight? What fight? Let me rephrase the question. At what race will the championship be decided? To be determined. Because we don't know which race is happening where or when. Mexico. And I guess we're all picking Lewis and Mercedes to sweep the titles again. Lewis wins the driver's title, Mercs score over 700 points, and I honestly think they'll run the table. Hmm. Dare I say it? I think he wins the championship in Japan. Jesus! Yep. Uh, I, th- I think I'm going to go one round earlier than Dre. I think it's going to happen in the United States. Oh, home soil. I like that pick. I like that pick. It's a good pick. I was a bit more cautious on this one, because some... Cause the, the, you know, you guys seem to insist on shenanigan races, so, you know, there's bound to be one Hamilton cough up in there somewhere like we got in Germany last year, so... I want I want uh, shenanigan uh, races, like NASCAR putting its preseason exhibition race at Daytona on the road course. For the, the fans... Daytona sure. Roval! Honestly, I think we're overthinking the new home of the United States Grand Prix. Oh, God. Caesar's Palace? No? Um, Mercedes wins, lol. Hamilton wins, lol. I think Mercedes will cough up three races this year, and they'll all be won by Verstappen. I think Ferrari goes winless on the year. Oof. I think Ferrari wins three races, but they're all Charles Leclerc. Do you want? Do you want some? Do you want, do you want some? Do you want some betting prices real quick before we Hell go? Hell yeah! Let's do it. Yeah, uh, let's just say it's not 
It's not very positive here. Outright, Lewis Hamilton, 8-15 to 15 to win the championship. Whoa, you're not making much money. It, yeah, like, so in other words, if you put a grand on that, which somebody did genuinely try to do in my bookies, and I actually talked him out of it because I said to him, mate, do you really want to win? Do you really want to wait eight months to win 500 quid? Like, it's 533 to be precise. Like I said to him, I, talk, I said to him, it's not worth it, and he walked out the door. Um, look, seriously, I, yeah, I turned Nan a one thousand pound bet. Seriously, <laughs> Jesus. I, I, I turned it out. I talked him out of it. I talked him out of it because I thought, mate, do you really want to wait eight months for five hundred quid? Like, if you're putting a grand down on it, sod that. Um, so yeah, Lewis Hamilton's eight to fifteen. Max Verstappen is nine to two. Charles Leclerc is fives. Valtteri is sixes. Vettel eight to one. Then it's a big gap to Alex Albon at eighty to one to win the championship. Then everybody else is two hundred and fifty or bigger outside of the big trick six. You can also bet without Lewis Hamilton if you're that way inclined. Max Verstappen is seven to four favourite without Hamilton to basically win the title without him, if you want to call it that. Charles Leclerc fifteen to eight. Valtteri Bottas seven to four. They've boosted him up to nine to four with Sky Zone Network if you're that way inclined. Um, he, he, they've bumped him up to nine to four to, to be second. Basically, will probably will end up being second in the championship. So if you think Merck's will go one two again, throw some money at Valtteri at nine to four. It's a pretty nice price if I do say so myself. Or you can also bet betting without the big six. Carlos Sainz and Sergio Perez joint favourites at 100-30. to 30. Pick that one out. If you want a couple of bets as well for the Australian Grand Prix, assuming it goes through, Lewis Hamilton, even money favourite. Mm. Which, what does that which say? actually is That's a very low price for a season opener. That is very low. Normally you'd be getting favourites around 2-1 to one for an opening race, because obviously the opening race, you never really know until you get there. So bet, bookies always lean on the side of caution for the first race of a season. Not this year. Bottas, uh, um, Hamilton's evens. Bottas is 11-4. Max Verstappen is 4-1. Charles Leclerc, 6s. And again, Vettel, 8-1 to one to win the opening round in Australia. And if you are going to do it, please gamble responsibly. Thanks. Um... But that'll just about do it for uh, this uh, this episode of Motorsport 101. Thanks, everyone, that's been sticking around for so long. Real quick, we'll, we'll get the uh, housekeeping out of the way. YouTube.com forward slash Motorsport 101. Facebook.com forward slash Motorsport 101. Motorsport underscore 101 for our Twitter and our, uh, our personal accounts, Harrison101HD, CBuckley917, at RJ O'Connell, and at Ryan Eric King. Patreon.com forward slash Motorsport101 if you want to back us financially on there. $5 gets you early access to all our shows. $10 gets you in the support of our Discord. Um, so check that out if you haven't already. We're recording another episode in two days' time, so hopefully it'll be, we'll spread them out a little bit, but... Uh, Hopefully by this time next week you'll also be in for our IndyCar season preview with Krista Harday back on the show as well, so maybe you can look forward to that. But until then, please, dear God, hope the hope the hope the COVID nineteen doesn't take a race off the table again. Hopefully by then, but the next time we're back properly, we'll be talking about the season opener in Australia. But until then, tune in next week for our IndyCar season preview. I've been Andre Harrison, they've been Cam Buckley. Ryan King and RJ O'Connell. Thanks for watching. Sayonara. Bye. Podcasting is a visual medium.